0: All right, welcome to Out of the Blue from Maze and Brew, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network, the podcast whose structure makes more sense than Yao Ming's skeletal system. I am Jared Stormer of mazeandbrew.com. With me, as always, is Andy Bailey, my hetero life mate, also of mazeandbrew.com. Andy, you godforsaken Stalin, you should be in some barn owned by an Arabian sheik right now, yet you bless me with your dulcet tones. How you doing, brother?
1: doing better with that introduction. I have a lime green and pink visor on for those who can't see me, so clearly I'm locked into the offseason.
0: You are ready for offseason talk. It came a little earlier than we were hoping by about one week, I'd say, but it is offseason for football now, nonetheless, after I won't say an embarrassing loss to Georgia. I've seen that word being floated around on the interwebs and I just don't buy it, but it was a sound beating and, and the better team did win that day. <clears throat>
1: It's really interesting because you can see which people in life have taken just pure ass kickings and those who haven't, I have, and sometimes you just get your ass kicked and that's what happened last Friday and there's no need to look forward. Everything was not in our favor and sometimes it just be like that.
0: It'd be like that sometimes and we'll talk more about that game and what we think went wrong in that, but let's start with basketball and with it being the end of the football season, we are going to start to transition more into that, which you would hope to be in a better position as we make that transition. This might be uh, tough on the soul because as we sit right now, Michigan is 7-5, and five, about to be 7-6 and six as Rutgers is closing out what should be another victory. And we said last week that we think this is still a tournament team. In the, Over the course of the week, I've completely changed my mind. I don't think this is a tournament team. I, I'm completely out after really doing a deep dive on this basketball
1: team. Central Florida lost really alarmed me the way it happened it seems like it's been a common theme like that you the wheels just come off sometime in the second half like you're in the, in the first half you're mixing it up in the second and then you just give up a 15 nothing run or something like that I'm not out as much as you are but I'm 80% there I'm not out all the way,
0: but I just don't see the path to improvement unless Caleb Houston just all of a sudden becomes remarkably better. There's so much emphasis put on he and Terrence Williams and Brandon Johns being able to make up for the lost minutes of Isaiah Livers and Franz Wagner, and they're not doing it, but they're not doing it on either end of the floor. This is just one sample game here against UCF, but we played them last year and held them to 58 points in this game. They come out and put up 85 And beat us 85-71. They hit eight straight three-pointers in this one. Rutgers absolutely torching us as we speak right now from behind the three-point line. So not only are you taking a, a real step back and you're losing a lot offensively, switching from Terrence Williams and Brandon Johns and stuff from Franz and Isaiah Livers, you're losing a lot defensively as well, especially on the perimeter.
1: It's been rough, man. It's really <clears throat> it's hard to like quantify the complete loss of some of these players, like Sean Day Brown. Like the energy he'd bring off the bench as a spark plug sixth man scorer just hasn't been there. We get we have some good contributions from the bench, but nobody like Sean who can just get hot and drops eighteen to twenty one, and it doesn't surprise you. So on top of defensive perimeter liabilities and things like that, we're just missing little integral pieces that make championship teams. And maybe it's because of all the talent coming in, the stars, the t- uh, Caleb Houston's of the world. We got too caught up in it and didn't see the chemistry issues that this team obviously has.
0: I will say that we did get too caught up in it because you and I were saying there's a chance this team is better than last year's. Now, we may be understated Franz Wagner's importance to this team as he's absolutely decimating the NBA right now. looks like a potential rookie of the year. We'll definitely get into him more in the, in the offseason as well. But Shonday Brown was a great guy to bring up as well, because we just don't have that type of microwave score that's going to do it. And he wasn't super consistent, but you didn't need him to be with those other guys. And Eli Brooks just shouldn't be your second leading scorer, which he is right now. I wanted to talk about the Hunter Dickinson of the thing. His numbers look good. They're about where they were last year or up, um, minus the free throw shooting percentage, which is team wide, just down across the team. I don't understand what that is. So it doesn't seem like it's a Dickinson problem necessarily based on the numbers, but how the pieces work around him. But I wanted to know, do you think that maybe it's a bit antiquated to build a team, even in college, around kind of the immobile seven-foot guy that doesn't really stretch out the defense, nor does he play really great or above-average interior defense?
1: I only think it's antiquated if you have the position that Michigan is in right now, where he's not surrounded by shooters. So if you had Hunter Dickinson in the middle and you played three – four 3-and-D guys around him, it'd be lights out. It'd be electric because he could shoot. He'd have so much room to move and operate and get things done. And there's still a position for it. You look at um, Evan Mobley last year is a bad example. But Evan Mobley's is like what you aspire to be, is that seven-footer that can move and do a few things. And I'm going to put a little bit of this on Dickinson because all the hype was in the offseason, he was expanding his game and changing it and working on things. It, does it seem like it to you? Like there's not much more. There's not much of a right hand, and the jump shot is inconsistent as ever.
0: I mean, he is leading the team in three-point percentage. Um, his free throw percentage is down a little bit. You'd like to see, and if you want to project these things out, you want to see a guy shooting in like the 80% from three throw free throw percentage because that projects into three-point percentage down the road. You're not seeing with that with him. You're not seeing any improvements defensively. I haven't seen him be ambidextrous like you just mentioned. So I don't really know what it is that he's necessarily improved on. There's not some huge year one to year two leap. He's kind of just doing what he was doing last year, which I also wanted to bring up as far as leadership on this team. Whereas with the football team, our best guys were our leaders, Hunter Dickinson. I'm not, I haven't really heard anything about him being a vocal leader or even a like by his actions leader for this team.
1: Well, leading up to the season, we heard quite the contrary that he had been tossed out of practice and different things. There's rumors of him being a diva on the team and maybe getting into what Nick Saban calls rat poison and reading your own press and just letting it toxify the situation. So that might be part of it as well because I expected more from him. The numbers are there, but if you watch these games, he will go absent. There's not much improvement. And I've just been disappointed with his team as a whole, the construct, the operation of it all. So a big, big letdown from last season. Some of that's on us, but some of that's also on the performances of players like Dickinson.
0: A lot of that is on us. I think we expected too much out of the freshman right away when it looks like both of these guys could benefit from coming back one more year. Um, I, I have said it multiple times. I'll beat it to death, that I think Diabate looks like a better pro than Caleb Houston right now. So I think we just had our expectations set a little bit too high. I don't like how all the pieces work together right now. Could this improve? Absolutely. Um, but you've got a weird kind of log jam with the forwards where you almost feel like you have to play Houston. And if you're not playing him, you go to Terry two sticks, whose numbers don't look too much better, but the percentages are slightly better. So it's just kind of a weird hodgepodge. There's no like go to scorer outside of Dickinson. And, you know, it's it's tough to to run your offense through a big immobile seven footer if other guys aren't hitting shots. And I don't know how what the, the fix is for that this season.
1: Yeah, we have an immobile seven footer surrounded by mostly non shooters. Not great.
0: <laughs> not ideal. Definitely not going to work in the NBA, not working in college right now. And the reason I don't think we're going to make the tournament is I look ahead at this schedule. We've got to play Michigan State twice, number three Purdue twice with Jaden Ivy. We face both of the number one and number two scoring threats in the nation twice with uh, Keegan Murray at Iowa and Johnny Davis at Wisconsin. We got to face both of those guys twice. Illinois is playing really well with Kofi Coburn. So I just look at this schedule and what's coming up as we get into big 10 play, and I'm like, where are the wins?
1: It's a great way to put it. You're definitely projecting ahead. And I I'm, I'm right there with you. Like I still have some hope they can blend together. And this this brings me back to last year when Hunter Dickinson was dominating in the post and g- g- having the praise heaped on him like he deserved. But when he played against Illinois, he just got bodied by Coburn, Cockburn, whatever his name is. And that really like frightened me it's like this is what you're supposed to do better than anybody cuz he gave it to garza but then he just got it back from cockburn so i hope he can we'll find out where he is in his game really against him this season that's going to be a huge litmus test a test about where i think he is
0: I agree. Yeah, I'll be interested to, to look at that. And if he can't really score effectively against Coburn, that's going to be a real knock on his potential NBA draft stock. And uh, one note on Luca Garza: I just went and saw the new Spider-Man. Alfred Molina shows up in it, and uh, I leaned over to the guy next to me as he made his appearance on screen. I was like, "It's it's Luca Garza." Uh, needless to say, nobody gets that, and that is not a joke that's going <laughs> to stick with anyone.
1: But- if if Luca Garza's nickname was Doc Ock, he's immediately thirty five percent more likable.
0: Yeah. And he wears number eight or double eights or something.
1: Oh, what? A, come on, Luca. Get a better mark. Hire us.
0: There it is. Like That's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> have you ever noticed you have the same eyebrows as Alfred Molina? You ever think about leaning into that?
1: <laughs> you also have arms that look like robotic tentacles. So I'm just saying.
0: <laughs> just something to think about yeah. takes another hit off the joint. <laughs>
1: <laughs> just imagine the shirts we could have with him. Just like his face with like tentacles coming out behind it.
0: I like it. I've seen worse shirts. I've seen him this year.
1: marketing guys, book it.
0: Uh, If we want to talk about some not awful shirts that are actually quite the opposite, we got to talk about home field apparel out of Indianapolis, where, uh, like we said, we would see you there this year. And it came to fruition. The incredibly comfortable, incredibly affordable sportswear brand with one of the largest, most comprehensive selections in the game right now shows up to your door. And I mean, you can just represent your team and whatever style you want, whether it's new school or old school. Homefield is a licensed apparel company and they've got you covered and you can get 20% off your first purchase with MNB at checkout when you go to homefieldapparel.com. All right, so we got to talk about this Orange Bowl loss, 34 to 11. I mean, I think you and I were pretty much of the belief that we're playing with house money, but this still hurt. I was on the road uh, trying to get through Wyoming, uh, which had 100 mile an hour winds that were also causing fires in Denver where I was trying to get to. So I'm like frantically checking my phone waiting for kickoff as I'm navigating snowbanks and it was quite harrowing uh all that to to get there and see a pretty uh pretty pedestrian performance from the Michigan Wolverines. So where do you want to start with this performance?
1: Let's just start with overall thoughts and takeaways. So I was watching with my girlfriend's parents, not my girlfriend and my girlfriend's brothers for <laughs> reasons to be named later. Weird
0: weird choice.
1: You know, things happen. You d- you roll with the punches. I had a great time. I'm not going to yeah. hate.
0: I was watching with Lamar Odom and Gilbert Godfrey, so I get it.
1: You're being chased by firehawks. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a different viewing experience. I'm bottling up a lot of emotions, giving myself an aneurysm, and it was a frustrating performance. I said it earlier about ass kickings, and everything was just not breaking Michigan's way. The offensive line was being dominated by Balls were being batted down. There was no rhythm to the run game. Defensively, they'd schemed us up really well. Their first 15 were excellent. uh, Really picked on Junior Colson a lot in coverage and getting one-on-ones. It was just so what Georgia had leading up to Alabama was all season of praise and Alabama just getting dumped all over by the media. And the last month, that's what happened to us. But in reverse, Michigan got all the praise and then Georgia was like, there can't do it. They got embarrassed. So they came out angry. I guarantee they had the Joe Moore award picture in their defensive line meeting room all month long, just coming in here ready to breathe fire Well, our team was, you know, being cushy on the beach and things like that. And it's hard to keep that same underdog motivated mentality when the whole country is injecting that rat poison of praise into you.
0: The rat poison of praise. I'm going to name my autobiography that for whatever reason. Um, All right. Before we get into the X and O's, I'll I'll touch on that, the whole kind of mentality of it. And to a degree, I agree with you in the sense that Michigan had slayed
1: two dragons. The man is so worked up, he knocked over the microphone. getting getting upset (laughs) dragon son let's go not one but two
0: dragons (laughs) this season they did everything that they said couldn't be done uh the the others said of them could not be done and and they were able to do that so i get it you got on to florida you feel like you've already accomplished everything you set out to this season even Aiden hutchinson said the goals were to beat ohio state win a big 10 championship those were the goals everything else even to them by their own admission is extra, you know, it's the cherry on top. So I get it that it was probably really hard to get super amped up for this. And I liked the energy around the team coming into this, but it was nowhere like the energy around the team coming into Ohio State. So while I think this probably was more about X's, O's, and Joes, and and I definitely want to talk about the the schematic advantage that Georgia had in this one. They're they're like you said, their first 15 were great. Um I do think there is something to that the the fact that you know Georgia had just been kind of embarrassed and Michigan's coming off of the two biggest wins of the last 20 years for the program
1: and not to mention all of the momentum was kind of broken with this month layoff. this isn't like a week later or two weeks later so you refocus you have some time to soak it in a little bit and things like that and it just it definitely played a factor you could just tell who played with more fire I'll never say Georgia wanted it more because that's just something stupid and idiots say that but they came out more inspired like you could tell they were a little more locked in in meeting rooms a little more locked in schematically and it showed and i mean and we'll get into the x's and o's of it but i was i was really impressed with what they did
0: yeah. And uh, let's start with let's start with our defense and their offense, because it was 27 three at the half. And that's not insurmountable for this team. But this this Michigan team is not built to throw it a lot. So if you look at the rushing totals, you're like, wow, uh, Blake Corum really only ran it three times. And Donovan Edwards really only went four times. Son Haskin only had nine carries in this. Granted, he went out with an injury, but it's because we were down big early and we had to kind of get out of what we like to do normally. Um, and early on, you you mentioned that they really schemed it up. They were getting the ball out really quickly, and that's a good way to attack both Hutchinson and Ojabo. Ojabo really didn't show up in this game. Hutchinson played pretty well, not his best game, um, but they were just getting it out so quickly they were scheming away from him, and as you mentioned, they were tra- attacking Junior Colson and the linebackers primarily, doing it with running backs and with tight ends, which I give a lot of credit to their offensive coordinator because – Michigan did. If if you had to say they had a weakness on defense, it was there in linebackers in coverage and and probably you know maybe down the middle or something like that.
1: Their OC Todd Munkin's a former NFL offensive coordinator, so going against an NFL style defense, I think he was right at home. Like he was able to really see this for what it was, unlike maybe some others, and could pick it apart, hit the edges, quick throws, really take them out of the game. And it also was very beneficial to them that Stetson Bennett had the best game of his career in this one. He was outstanding with decision-making, getting the ball out. And of course, Michigan did their part to help him when Vincent Gray stopped running on a go route.
0: Rough, rough day for Vincent Gray. Targeted twice his numbers, two completions, two touchdowns. (laughs) So they didn't target him a ton, but when they did, they had quite a bit of success. Uh, Not much better for DJ Turner, who gave up four receptions on, I believe, seven targets. Uh, regardless, neither one of them had a great day. Dax Hill did not have a great day. The linebackers in coverage were not great. Uh, can't really pick anyone from the back end of the defense that had a great day. Uh, Hutchinson was held and getting hooked quite a bit in this. Uh, I'm not going to necessarily point this out as some sort of super egregious officiating day, but it wasn't the best either. Uh, definitely didn't come down to, to Hutchinson being held though, as far as the, the final outcome on the score. But yeah, uh, inexplicable by vincent
1: gray there and uh not, not the best not the best day for the defense one good thing i'll say though is it was 27 to 3 at half and only give up a touchdown in the second half it, w- it was a quarter and a half of starters before they pulled them so the whole third quarter was held blank zero zero so they at least kept michigan in the game a little bit late made the adjustments you would have seen loved to see some of that earlier obviously but i loved that they kept fighting throughout this one
0: Yes, and that's a good uh, time to transition over to our offense against their defense. Um, 27-3 at the half, not able to establish anything on the run in the first half. You've got uh, Blake Corum fumble. You've got an interception thrown by Cade Mack there in the first half as well. Or, excuse me. uh, both In
1: the the first half was when their safety ripped down Roman Wilson and then caught the ball, which should have been a penalty. And then the second one when Dalen Baldwin forgets how to run a fade.
0: Yeah, the second one is the one I'm referring to where Dalen Baldwin stops. And it looks egregious until you go back and you're like, oh, that's on the wide receiver. Um, but we were driving down and that would have been 27 to 10 if you just complete that or you know run a different play there. I mean, we were able to move the ball and you're absolutely right. We blank him in the third quarter. So that probably sealed it right there, that interception. And it was just a day of miscues and especially on offense. But one position group that absolutely got handled, there's no question about it, is the offensive line.
1: Just manhandled. On pull blocks, everything. They were just getting put flat on their butts. Vast artists could not handle Jordan Davis. Keegan couldn't. Zenter was getting, like, just whiffing on blocks like he had not all season. And like I said, these guys were just sitting there all month long he- hearing about how much they suck and they got no pressure. And Jordan Davis, seeing the clips of him just, like, passively – pass rushing against Alabama and I'm sure they came out inspired because of that and the Michigan offensive line hey best unit in the country they did this they did that so they had a little extra edge to them but that that edge doesn't account for missing blocks and missing assignments and false starts left and right in this one
0: some timely errors in there as well, and a little rough on the draft stock for our boy Vastardis, Nasty Vasty, who had, by all accounts, like maybe the greatest season as far as what was expected of him and what he accomplished. I mean, Eric All, we still had some pretty high expectations for, and he had a great season, uh, but Vastardis, we had almost no expectations for, and, and this dude had a pretty monster season but not great for his tape against Jordan Davis there in that one. And, and the Dean also, you know, being a absolute missile, he is Devin Bush incarnate, like that swing pass to Blake Corum that he ran down. It's pretty much just him and Devin Bush that can run that down. So, Their speed at linebacker, I think we probably underestimated in in how important that was against Michigan.
1: Well, we talked about how their defense reminded us of the 2018 group except their defensive line strength was on the interior, not the exterior pass rushing. And we didn't have time to exploit it because they are all they were getting so much movement up front. So we had some crossing routes there, some tight end delays that would work, but either the ball was getting batted down, pressure was in Kay McNamara's face, there was no threat of the run. So it all played into each other because they run a lot of backer schemes, not as many down linemen. But also their linebackers are huge. They're massive, massive men on that Georgia defense.
0: I mean, this is essentially an NFL defense. Pretty much everybody on that team's either going to be on an NFL team or get a real shot. And we're not far off of that. You know, we're not far off of that. A lot of the, our guys are going to be featured on NFL rosters or we'll get a shot at a practice squad or something like that. But pretty much everyone that you saw there on that Georgia defense. And, you know, it, it also doesn't help that we're letting uh, we're having Jalen Harrell cover Brock Bowers 30 yards down the field. So. It was, it was coaching. It was schematics. It was X's and O's. It was players. It was all of it. They were probably the better team that day. I don't necessarily think that their worlds better than us. I'm still not buying that. I think there's a world where this was a much closer game or where we win this game.
1: A hundred percent, man. I'm completely there with you. And there are still positive on offense to take away. Eric All, who's coming back next season, was tremendous in this game with big catches and being very physical and leading the way. Roman Wilson still being a deep threat. Donovan Edwards as well. Andrew Anthony had the touchdown late. JJ. So there are positives to take away from this game. And like you said, we're not worlds away. We're close. We got a taste of it. We saw the summit, and now it's going to be a little easier to get there.
0: Absolutely. And this is a 23-point win. And you go back, the playoffs have been around since 2014. Every single year, we have games like this. And it's actually more rare that you get a close game in the playoff. If you go back 2014, 59-20, Oregon over Florida State. Uh, The next year, Alabama, 38-0 over Michigan State. The next year, Clemson, 31-0 over Ohio State. You know, and then you keep going down the risk the list. More recently, LSU beat Oklahoma 63 to 28. It happens every year. And I like your point about the huge time off. I think that that really cre- helps to create some of this disparity that you're seeing in these playoff games. But 34-11 is pretty much par for the course from what we've seen from these year in and year out. And it's unfortunate. You'd like to end the season with a better outing, but just so many positives to take away from the season overall. I don't think that you can say this puts some huge dampener on it.
1: No, it's just a bad ending to a great movie. Like it was a fantastic season. We're 12 and two. You're one of the four best teams indisputably in the country. You won the big 10 championship. You had a Heisman finalist, the AP coach of the year. The blessings outweigh the curses in this season, man. Like I'm an eternal optimist, but come on.
0: And this isn't even like you have third act problems. Like, you know, Marvel movies have serious third act problems. We were having third act problems, and that was not beating Penn State and Ohio State. So this is not a movie that had like third act problems. It's more like Lord of the Rings, where it's just like, all right, well, we put three endings on this thing, and that third ending kind of sucked.
1: A hundred percent, man. It's the Steven Spielberg problems in some movies, too. It's like it drags on for an extra 10 minutes. We need to just let's cut it off. Let's go to credits. So that's all it was. It does not take away from the ride and the emotion. This is still my favorite team of my lifetime that I can vividly remember since I've been a fan of since 03.
0: So there is a discussion that is going to uh, start, you know, it's going to start developing. You, you see it like a hurricane out over the Pacific weeks in advance here, this quarterback debate and going into the next offseason, it's going to be a huge topic. I mean, this is going to be all over ESPN. We're going to talk about it extensively. I'm sure everybody worth their salt that covers Michigan will I said something to you last week. I said it off the pod because I was like, I don't want to create some sort of controversy. (laughs) It was. I should have just said it. But I also am a big Cade guy, so that's part of it. But I said last week, I said, I believe we've reached the ceiling of what you can do with Cade McNamara as a quarterback. I was like, I worry about him against Georgia because the athleticism takes a huge step up or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. Like you can probably remember what I said better than I can. And there is a little bit of credence in that from what we saw with JJ coming in in this game. Granted, you know, it was against second stringers in some cases, but the athleticism gap was was noticeable. So what are your thoughts about this quarterback? Initial thoughts. We're not going to get into this too deep right now, but what are your initial thoughts about this quarterback debate and where the ceiling of this team is with both?
1: It absolutely became a bigger debate after this game. I think. Both quarterbacks have a case for it, and honestly, a fun podcast we'll do in the offseason is we'll each take a position, and then we'll flip positions, and we can go at it the other way with each other, so that way we can just see both sides very clearly, and this isn't anti-JJ, this isn't anti-K, this is not anti Cade. this is pro michigan so whomever is better with Jim Harbaugh, that's all we care about, so I'm with you on everything you said, the athleticism, you were proven right in that And I do think this team's ceiling is higher with JJ as of right now, but there's a lot to be seen and a lot to unfold in this matchup.
0: It's almost like you have like your regular season guy where it'd be like, all right, we're going to ride Cade Mack through the regular season. He's like your trusty veteran reliever. But then you're developing this like young hot shot out of the bullpen. And he's like, yo, this dude throws 101 miles an hour. Like when we get to the playoffs, we're going to unleash this guy. Like it's not a real thing. And this is obviously just fan talk with that sort of. But that's kind of where you're at. And it's a very interesting kind of dynamic here that you see in like sports movies where it's do you do you ride with uh uh Dennis Quaid's character from any given Sunday or do you go with uh and Willie Beeman you know
1: yeah Alex Smith Colin Kaepernick uh Tom Brady Drew Henson like there's always these in there because it's like with JJ some of his problems have been just the easy stuff like against Penn State does he like look off Eric Hall and go for the deep shot like does not go for the route that comes back to the like the line of scrimmage and just take the deep shot, not seeing the progression there. How does he like handle throwing interceptions and adversity like Cade does? There's just so many questions surrounding this. But it's like also like, have we reached the ceiling of Cade McNamara? Maybe, but the ceiling is also a Big Ten championship?
0: Right. And if that's your ceiling, are you pretty okay with that? I mean, and there's going to be some drop off next year defensively, I believe. I I don't know how you lose what we're going to lose and not be some type of defensive drop off, but the offense should take a step forward if everyone improves by some scale. And that's the other part of this is who is JJ McCarthy in the offseason versus who is Cade McNamara? in the offseason and what kind of work are they putting in? What is JJ doing to be a more efficient quarterback that makes the right reads? And all that is going to play into this thing because talent wise, it's JJ by a pretty wide margin. And I don't think anyone would really even argue that. But winning games wise, it's still Cade
1: exactly and Cade brings the leadership, the experience, talking to Eric all on the sideline, comforting him, all the post game stuff you see with Cade. It's A- Aiden Hutchinson saying that's my quarterback after Penn State. Like there's so much there. There's also so much belief in JJ. And I'm really fascinated to watch how this plays out. I can't wait for all the rumors and stuff to be leaked out. And you and I just debating this in the heat of June. Just like, have you seen JJ thrown outside the numbers? Have you seen Cade? No, because he can't. And just just getting into the ridiculous and nitty gritty of it. But the best thing is, one of these two guys is going to lead an elite offense next season. And that's very exciting.
0: Technically, Alan Bowman has the most uh, passing yards of any returning quarterback. So
1: we stay for Bowman and Greg Crippen minutes on this podcast.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Around here, (laughs) we stick around for Greg Crippen minutes. No, nobody was hurt more by the the transfer of the Virginia center than Greg Crippen.
1: He lost his red shirt this year. Do you know that?
0: Wow. Our boy. Well, we saw some of those minutes. We were very fortunate.
1: Yeah, we're getting third year Crip when he comes in. So they're not ready for that
0: third year crip (laughs) (laughs) they call him the crip wow he must be a really good player third string center
1: (laughs) you just wait till he's out there starting snapping that ball with his high school quarterback jj so we'll see
0: very excited about it um so as we go into this offseason there's obviously still alabama Georgia. are you going to be paying any attention to that
1: no not at all college football doesn't exist
0: no, it doesn't matter to me at all. Um, SEC started out of the gates uh, really, really poorly. They were 0-4. They've since turned it on in some of the other bowl games, uh, whereas Big Ten started out strong. And then in their bowl games, a uh, little bit less so. Uh, Ohio State really patting themselves on the back and uh, rewarding themselves as national championships after uh, champions after beating Utah, who lost oh, their quarterback. You know what my
1: favorite stat from that game was?
0: Um, that it was 39 points allowed in the first half? No,
1: 42-27. That's all I have to say. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Tremendous stat.
1: That's the best stat. I mean, the only stat I can offer for a consolation bowl game. It
0: does upset me, though, that they are probably going to be better next year. That is one takeaway I had from watching that. I was like, there's a world where both Michigan and Ohio State are better than they were this year, which is kind of crazy to say.
1: Hot take, Ohio State loses at least two games next year.
0: I'm here for it. One of them will be ours. But, I mean, that Marvin Harrison Jr., I'm so mad they have Marvin Harrison's kid on that. Because, like, I can't hate that kid.
1: No, Marvin Harrison is the most forgotten, like, great wide receiver because his name is just so bland.
0: Isaac Bruce?
1: Another one up there, too. Just so, just bland. Like, Isaac Bruce was elite. (laughs)
0: Isaac Bruce was elite, but he sounds like he's maybe some like Scottish landowner from like 1804.
1: I feel like he's the manager I get at Applebee's after I'm overserved and upset about it. This is Mr. (laughs) Bruce.
0: (laughs) Mr. But Isaac Bruce sounds a little more noble.
1: (laughs) It does, especially put Sir in front of it.
0: Yeah, I like that a lot. Speaking of Sirs, uh, they don't knight people in Ann Arbor, but if they did, second half of this podcast. We have what would have to be considered Michigan elite.
1: One of the greatest Michigan players of all time, a Heisman Trophy winner, a Super Bowl MVP. For whatever reason, Jared, we got him, baby. You and I are talking with Desmond Howard.
0: I can't even fathom it. We talked about what our Mount Rushmore is. I don't care who you are. If you're a Michigan fan, Desmond Howard's on your Mount Rushmore. Every Michigan fan should have Desmond Howard on their Mount Rushmore.
1: There's two that are indisputable. It's he and Woodson. And just go through Desmond's accolades if you've forgotten, because a lot of us have or just like, you know, he's great. Just look at the numbers. Look at the accolades. They speak for himself.
0: All right. Well, my pulse is up and that is what is coming up next here on Out of the Blue. We will see you back here in one moment right after this. All right. Welcome back to Out of the Blue. Folks, this is a real treat. We have Michigan legend, All-American, record holder, college football Hall of Famer, Heisman Trophy winner, Super Bowl MVP, Mm -hmm. Emmy Award winner, about two dozen other accolades that really make me want to get off my butt and go to work a lot harder, Mr. Desmond Howard. Sir, thank you so much for your time. It is really an honor.
2: Hey, uh, Jared, Andrew, thank you guys for having me. And I appreciate that wonderful introduction. Thank you very much. (laughs) If we had more time, I'd lay out more of the accolades. (laughs) It's really impressive.
0: I want to get into it. I know you have a lot going on, especially uh, right now in college football season. Michigan was given a 2% chance of winning the Big Ten, making it to the college football playoff. The general consensus was this was about a seven or an eight-win team coming into the season after that 2020 campaign. Was there a moment or maybe a particular game where you remember starting to believe that this team was maybe made of something different than some of the past Harbaugh teams that maybe fell a little bit short?
2: I tell you, what, I think early on, you, you could see that this team had an identity. I think the first thing that was missing when you would watch Michigan football was like this team doesn't have an identity. But I think early on, they established their identity It's like, listen, we're going to be tough up front. We're going to establish the line of scrimmage and we're going to run the ball and we're going to be multiple. And they showed that early. I thought the Wisconsin game, traveling up to Camp Randall, taking on the Badgers. Um, Paul Chris is a hell of a coach. You know, they're always tough to beat up there in that place. But them to play the way they played up in Camp Randall on the road, I thought that was like an indication that this team is really a lot more different than I thought they they were.
1: Now, in previous years, we've seen production from running backs and a few tight ends. But as you know, the wide receiver position very well at Michigan and the NFL, what was your overall impression of the wide receiver room this year? And what kind of production do you expect from a room that returns nearly everybody next year and gets Ronnie Bell back healthy?
2: You know, I'm glad you mentioned Ronnie Bell because people don't don't really uh, give it give the offense context as far as losing their most explosive, most dynamic player early in the season, I think it was like the second game of the season, maybe that he went out with the ACL and now the, 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 the coaches staff, the, you know, offensive coaches. Now you have to scramble to figure out who's going to be that guy. And it wasn't, um, a situation of this person is going to be that guy. It was a collective effort of guys in the receiving room who all stepped up and they contributed. Very young, youthful uh, receiving core. But those guys uh, did a fantastic job. And I have to give um, Josh Gaddis and the offensive staff a lot of credit for finding ways to be productive throwing the ball. Because, you I mean, a lot of teams, man, if they lose their most productive, most explosive, dynamic player that early in the season, then the offense, you know, may go down the drain. But Michigan didn't. They were, uh, you know, they, they were they found a way to be productive. So now, with that being said, with Ronnie Bell returning his leadership, and with the guys coming back with the experience that they've had this season, I think, man, it's 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 going to be exciting. I mean, you have to be excited about the the, the potential of what this offense can do with these guys. With now they, you know, they they've had the best experience that a young receiving core could have. I mean, going all the way to the college football playoff, like these guys had. The, to me, it's, it's the, the most experience, the best experience you can get as a young receiving core. And now that now they know what it looks like and what it feels like to get, you know, to the college football playoff too.
0: it's going to be a battle tested young group, really all the skill positions super excited yeah. on for next year. Um, so this was a season that completely changed the national narrative surrounding the Michigan football program. Does a lopsided loss to Georgia in the college football play playoff taint that narrative in your mind?
2: not in my mind, because I understand what they were up against in Georgia. I mean, Georgia's um, one of the best teams in the country. They were the consensus number one um, all the way up into the SEC championship game. And they have a a dominant defense. uh, They have a really good offense, a lot of weapons on the offense. Uh, Brock Bowers, the tight ends, you know, most people think he's the best tight end in college football Uh, and he's just a freshman. So anyway, so I knew what they were up against. And uh, so no, I, I don't think that the lopsided loss uh, taints what they were able to accomplish because coming to the season they were picked to finish fourth in their division not the conference but fourth in their division so I always said when they played against Georgia they were playing they were playing with house money at that point they were a year ahead of schedule if not more
1: and I thought during the game too just one thing went wrong then something else and something else and the month layoff kind of hurt this team and sometimes all of that just comes together in a storm and you, you simply just get your ass kicked And I think this team has everything inside of them to bounce back and to compete with the Georgias, the Alabamas, and the Ohio States year in and year out. Now, do you feel the same way?
2: Well, I do think that things start to snowball. You know, you you had like a fourth and whatever it was and, um, and McNamara, you know, just, just overthrew the tight end, you know, things like that that are kind of uncharacteristic. You've seen some guys like, stop on the play, like gray, like stopped on the sideline. It it was like, well, you know, just some very uncharacteristic things that, that transpired, that, that led to bigger plays for Georgia. And you can't afford to do that when you play against a team of that magnitude. Now, maybe you can do that against some teams, but you can't make those mistakes and not execute those plays against teams like that, especially on that big a stage, because it's going to bite you in the butt. And that's what it did. It just started to snowball. And Michigan couldn't come back from that.
0: Totally agree with your point about it being house money. I think we said that multiple times on this podcast, like it was champagne problems after Iowa. But uh, (laughs) nonetheless, you still want to, you know, a little bit better showing than that. Absolutely. Uh, Mr. Howard, we are coming up on the 30 year anniversary of your iconic punt return against Ohio State. Uh, You've talked about that uh, multiple times in the HBO documentary, the the time I've probably seen it the most. you know, you're working with Modella now to commemorate this 30 year anniversary. One question I had about that, that maybe I haven't heard answered before. Do you think someone could pull such a cold move like that in the modern era with the internet era and everything and Twitter being what it is? Or was that just like a moment in history where where everything kind of lined up and it worked and it'll just never be forgotten?
2: Wow. You know, I think if you put it in context, um, like these players nowadays they celebrate everything like a guy catch a ball for a first down and you would think he just caught the game winning touchdown for the national championship like they celebrate everything you see a quarterback he scrambles and he dives across the, the 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 line for for the first down and he gets up celebrating like you know he just won um you know the conference championship or something like that so I think because they celebrate do so much now that it would never be as significant as it was back when I did it because we didn't celebrate. We didn't do all of that stuff that brought attention to ourselves every time we did something. These, these student athletes, these players, you know, and they do it in the NFL too, every time they do something, they bring attention to themselves. So now it wouldn't be as significant, you know what I'm saying, if that makes sense. Yeah. Jared and I were advocating
1: for um, Aiden Hutchinson to get a carry in the Big Ten championship just so he could strike the Heisman pose, and, you know, try to bump up his spot in the ballot a little bit. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I do think been, it
2: would have been different.
0: <laughs> I'd have been there for that. A big guy
2: touchdown. I'm always exactly. here for we, it. Now, we all we all love big guy touchdowns. We all do love those. Yeah, exactly. I, I'd
0: have been here for it. So, uh Modelo's the official beer sponsor of the college football playoff. Um and no hyperbole, that is my beer of choice since 2017. Uh had to make the switch cuz it's a blue case and uh, <laughs> as opposed to drinking anything red which Andrew needs to uh, really look <laughs> inward and fix. Uh what can you tell us about this partnership with Modelo and what you guys got going on in this college football playoff season?
2: Yeah, well, Jared, like you said, it's the official beer sponsor of the college football playoff. And because of the 30th anniversary of the punt return against Ohio State, the way they're going to celebrate is, listen, if there's a punt return for a touchdown in the national championship game Monday night, Modelo's going to give 300 fans free beer for the 2022 season. So you guys got to be rooting for a touchdown. And even if it doesn't happen, you know, we still, Modelo's still going to give uh, one lucky fan plus one. Um, two tickets to LA for the national championship game in 2023. And in order to enter, what you need to do is you have to send a tweet to Modelo USA and you have to use the hashtag. Now listen closely. The hashtag is CFP fighting spirit sweepstakes. So it's hashtag CFP fighting spirit sweepstakes. And also add the hashtag 21 plus. And then you can enter the sweepstakes. So I think it's fun for everybody. It's going to be, um, you know, everyone's going to be rooting for a, I know I'm going to be rooting for a, <laughs> a punt return for a touchdown. And that would be very exciting. And uh, even if there isn't one, uh, Modell's going to give, um, uh, you know, a, a lucky fan plus one tickets to L.A. for the national championship game in 2023.
0: That's that's super awesome. Uh, We will both definitely be entering. Um, I'm concerned what happens if we win. But nonetheless, we're going to enjoy it. (laughs) And uh, we we really enjoyed having you on today, sir. I know you're making the rounds today. I want to be respectful of your time. But thank you so so much, Desmond Howard for stopping by and talking with us today.
2: Hey, Andrew, Jared, thanks for having me. I really appreciate that. And guys, Happy New Year.
0: Happy New Year and go blue, sir.
2: Go blue. Yes, sir. Go blue.
0: Andrew, we just spoke with Desmond Howard.
1: Uh, yeah, it's um, wow, man. That was awesome. Again, thank you to Desmond and Modello for making that happen. That was a thing we thought never would happen, that we'd have exclusive time to talk with Desmond Howard, especially on the record like that.
0: No, in my wildest dreams and, and fantasies, that was as, about as cool as it gets for me. Um, Just a, a, a good dude, too. Just top three charisma, and it's not two or three.
1: Yeah, it is well at number one. It is safe to say Charles Woodson's got a lot of charisma, but not that Desmond charisma. Just super colloquial, down-to-earth, just a good— he's he's Mount Rushmore player and Mount Rushmore, Michigan hang. Like, he is a great hang.
0: Charles Woodson in an ascot is close. It's but- close. yeah, yeah, he needs the ascot. So it's an interesting debate, but, uh, we've got some other uh, topics to touch on since uh, we're recording this in two parts and some things has have happened. Michigan did end up losing to Rutgers last night and, uh, it's ugly. I don't really want to get back in on basketball, but, uh, Juwan Howard did have a quote and it was very heartwarming and it was just about the team sticking together and how much he loves this team. And I absolutely love that. And that's what you want to hear from Juwan Howard. But, um, from our perspective, it, uh, it doesn't look like it's all, all roses.
1: No, this team needs a rallying cry, though. They need a win where it's gritty, probably beat a ranked team, to really pull them all together. Get them all going in the same direction, because right now they're kind of scattered. It's not unified. So I believe this is Jawan's attempt to start something like that, but now they just have to bring it to actuality in a game.
0: I don't want to talk anymore about basketball, but the other news that we have to report isn't necessarily great either, and that is uh, Sean Nua is taking a, we don't know what position yet, I'm assuming the same role at USC. Same role, same role. Yeah, I assumed so, under Lincoln Riley out at USC. We knew there was going to be what you deemed the success tax, and this is Michigan paying that there with uh, the success they had on the defensive line.
1: No, nothing bad to say about Sean New, a great coach, great guy from all indication, formed a great relationship, really close with Aiden Hutchinson this past year, kind of like a big brother. And he's from the area, I believe, originally has some ties to it. So good for him for moving closer back home where he resides. And he's going to do a hell of a job at USC, I have no doubt the most likable
0: guy on the coaching staff. I mean, we've never met him, but just watching him in interviews and hearing the way players talked about him, it was just you you instantly gravitate towards the guy so yeah, he's gonna do fantastic there and I would not be surprised if there are more departures. We got to find a way to get these dudes some more money this year. I don't know how renegotiation works, but now we've got Harbaugh of the NFL rumors, which is nothing new but there's actually like articles coming out in the athletic and stuff. And Bruce Feldman's talking about it, uh, like with a specific team linked to it. And that's the Raiders. So I hate doing this every year. Uh, Do you think there's anything to it this year though? I kind of have to ask, I guess.
1: I don't yet. I haven't heard it from a source I trust. I haven't John Bacon discredited him yesterday. There's a lot of unnamed sources that I think he's going. But again, you hear this every year. I just think this is a negotiation strategy from Harbaugh's camp. Like, hey, he proved he can do it when nobody believed in him, took a pay cut. Now it's time to reward him a little bit.
0: Yeah, I'll believe it when I hear it from the Baconator. That's our guy. <laughs> the most... The most reliable Michigan source. And he says there's nothing to it. Harbaugh says, you know, quote, this is just the beginning and he would do this job for free. I tend to take the man at his word. But I will say now for the 90th time on this podcast, get the handshake deal with Stephen Roscoe and pay this staff because they're wildly uh, underpaid for what the results in the field were this year.
1: Exactly. I think some of Harbaugh giving money back to the athletic department will come to some of those staffers. I really do. I think it was kind of a nice way to do it. It'll go through the athletic department. That's a lot of money to go around, though. And some of these assistant coaches deserve a bag, and we'll see how it goes. But, again, we've discussed this ad nauseum that this is the price you pay for having success.
0: Also, Harbaugh has like a fairly young family, like he still has some young kids and he's here in Ann Arbor, which is by all accounts, one of the best places to raise a family. And you're going to uproot him and take him to Las Vegas. I don't know (laughs) if
1: I buy that. It's a great point. So there's a lot of questions surrounding that when he does make the jump back to the NFL or whatever he chooses to do, he's earned it now because he has at least repaid Michigan with a Big Ten championship and conquering Ohio State. Oh, I'm sure the
0: amount of money Michigan pulled in this season, just with the Big Ten Championship having that extra game, all the additional like sales of memorabilia and merchandise and stuff, probably an okay year for the Michigan program, uh, I would I would have to guess.
1: Yeah, they definitely bounced back after the COVID-impacted year, so I think they're doing okay, but if Steven Ross wants to throw a bag or two, you know, he's there, we're here, you know, whomever.
0: Yeah, I mean, if Stephen Ross ever wants to throw a bag just because, you know, he's got a little bit too much to go around, I'm never going to necessarily rebuttal that idea.
1: You want to give me money, Steve? Like, <laughs> can, I, can I call you Steve? Stephen? Steve.
0: <laughs> Stephen, please.
1: Send us a bag. We talk, We hang out with Desmond Howard and Jake Butt here.
0: Yeah, that's a new thing, but uh, take notice. <laughs>
1: But also, we'd be remiss if we didn't touch on some of the transfers that have been announced. And as it just came through the wire just now, Andre Seldon Jr. has entered the transfer portal, joining George Johnson, fellow defensive back, and Darian Green Warren, fellow defensive back. And who was the other one?
0: Uh, In the defensive backfield, Anthony Solomon was Uh, a linebacker.
1: Anthony Solomon was the other transfer portal mentioned.
0: It's a bummer. You know, uh, I'm a huge fan of the secondary guys, and I get really, really, uh, you know, attached to these dudes before they even come there, like Miles, Spider-Sims. Um, Andre Seldon. And- Andre Seldon was our dude. Uh, yep. He just plays like a pit bull. We really wanted him to make an impact on the team. They just weren't able to uh, to get it done. Uh, Green Warren, we mentioned a couple podcasts ago as someone we had our eye on just because he hasn't had many snaps whatsoever. Um, same thing with Seldon, And I hope they can put it together wherever they go next. You know, Will Johnson coming in and that uh, secondary recruiting class that we have coming in with Keon Sab, some of those other guys. Maybe they just saw the writing on the wall. And, um, you know, DJ Turner's coming back and I expect him to improve. So it was raised back, matter- too, isn't he? Could be. Yeah. 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 Um, I believe uh, he probably would be back based on his the last performance we saw of Vincent Gray. I don't necessarily think he's going to be a first three rounds kind of guy. So I would expect to see him back as well. So I think they just saw the writing on the wall, but still a bummer.
1: I think so, too. And you bring back the two starting corners. Green, I believe, can come back as well if he chooses to because of the COVID eligibility. Jalen Perry's there in the two deep. You have all the safeties in the mix. You have this recruiting class coming in. And this is just natural attrition. When you have good players, you can't keep all the good players, as Ohio State found with losing Quinn Ewers behind C.J. Stroud. Like That's just what happens sometimes. Will Johnson might be playing a lot next year. I'm fine with that. The rumor is he might vault up to cornerback number one after his performance in the Under Armour All American game, where Michigan also had the game MVP in Derek Moore. Oh, also worth mentioning,
0: Derek Moore looks like an absolute fine, too. Not a guy that we even really mentioned on our instant impact guys, but Derek Moore is going to be a player for sure.
1: This recruiting class is probably my favorite in several years, just because it seems very particular, like a lot of guys with very niche skill sets and like guys that they see developing.
0: Part of it is, too, we know you're bringing in these guys to what's already a great young team. So this feels more like, oh, man, like when you're uh, when you're like the Rams or something and then you have a good draft. It's like, man, this is just like fuel to the fire here. So we're already in a great position with our young guys. So it feels very complimentary. And there's a lot of guys on here that yeah I'm really starting to be high on and, and Will Johnson, you know, chief among them. And it's going to be a very interesting battle in the secondary. Now um, we're, we're a little thin now. So these young guys are probably going to be getting more snaps. you know with with those with that attrition than they would have been before that
1: yeah and there's always going to be guys like the dj turners and the rod moores that just come out of absolutely nowhere and are studs right away so they've shown a propensity to play younger guys quickly so that could happen again and when you have will johnson type players that are six three and can run with elite wide receivers at his age i mean that's going to transition very very nicely
0: yeah um i'm also quite high on six three and runs like a gazelle call me crazy i'm
1: fine with that and then we haven't mentioned our boy zeke Barry coming in
0: really high on that name. It's just so smooth, elegant. He plays like a Zeke. Yeah, that'll be fun. So, um, yeah, it'll be a very interesting battle in the secondary Anthony Solomon, not as impactful. I also don't think that we've heard the last of the, uh, the transfers out of there. We still don't know what's happening with Dax Hill. I anticipate he will be going to the NFL and we'll hear that. Um, obviously David Ojabo announced that's not surprising to anyone. Um, that's that I think things have pretty much held serve right now um Sean Nua probably the most surprising but even that I don't think is like a blindsiding blow so uh it'll be interesting to see you know I kind of feel like you know you're starting to see some leaks spring in the ship but for the most part uh, the hull is still sturdy
1: I'm 100% with you the Nua one's the only surprising one so far and even, even down the road, you see things at Michigan State happening. I believe Naylor's leaving, but Reed is returning. So they're like having the same thing. I'm sure some coaches will move on from that program as well, as they will all over across the country. A lot of coaching turnover in this cycle. So fingers crossed we keep the boys together. But as Harbaugh's seen, he has a good eye for young talent because we didn't know a lot of these coaches before this past season, and now we adore them.
0: I adore everyone on this team, even the guys that are transferring. You couldn't upset me after a year like this. As uh, even Mr. Howard said, it uh, was house money there at the end. So if he, if it comes from a Mount Rushmore guy, I have to assume it's true.
1: Desmond Howard's charisma could get us to do anything. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm screaming. <laughs> like this guy has like political like energy. He could unite the country. I mean, maybe not the state of Ohio since he left and came somewhere better. But yes, Desmond That's Howard fine. can do anything.
0: Look, he'll be the first to uh, to win, like, a close swing election without taking Ohio. <laughs> Desmond Howard can
1: take whatever he wants. Like, just be honest. <laughs>
0: oh, man. Uh, anything else
1: we need to touch on here? I think that's all the breaking news, man. Desmond Howard interview at the front end, and the next time we record will be your last podcast for a few months in these United States.
0: <sighs> Let's hope so. We're trying this again. Uh, things got a little dodgy last time, but... Hopes are high. Hopes are high this time. So yeah, hopefully we'll I'll be recording from some different country. I don't know. Maybe like I Haven't decided yet.
1: If you end up in if you end up there or like Liberia or something, you know, just mail me a postcard. I'll read it on the air for you as I solo pod.
0: Sure, sure, sure. Absolutely. I don't <laughs> I don't know if it'll be from me or from my captors, but
1: <laughs> Well Jared, this is his Somali pirate friend. I believe he kidnapped him <laughs> once. He's suffering from Stockholm syndrome.
0: Look, it happens, man. It wouldn't be the first time. (laughs) Um, All right, guys, want to give one more shout out uh, to Desmond Howard. Thank you for coming on. Thank you to Modelo, which I literally I don't even have to advertise it. That's what I drink every podcast and every Michigan game. So it's been like my official beer for for years now. I'm going to get you get you switched over and make you a a God fearing American.
1: It's you put you made the best argument I've heard from Modelo. It's a blue label can. facts yeah
0: i mean you can't even dispute that
1: but uh the hashtag for
0: that entry if you want to enter into that contest for um beer um so you should definitely look into that is hashtag cfp fighting spirit sweepstakes And then do the hashtag 21 plus along with that. And you can enter in um, for that drawing 300 people. It was 300 people, right?
1: 300 people if there's a punt return scored, a punt return touchdown in the game. But if not, one lucky winner is still going to be drawn for tickets plus one to the college football championship next year.
0: Who's returning punts for Alabama? Is it Jameson Williams?
1: I know he's returning kicks, but he took that nasty hit. Uh, I don't know if he is or not. So if one's going to happen, I mean, Alabama's got the horses back there to do it. Both teams really
0: do, as we just saw with Georgia. But really, Alabama, I mean, as far as skill position, guys, I agree with you there. All right. That is going to do it for us on Out of the Blue today. What happened? Maybe my favorite Out of the Blue. I'm going to go ahead and say it. It's my favorite Out of the Blue. Top two, not two. (laughs) <laughs> facts uh that's gonna do it make sure that you uh like share subscribe wherever you get your podcast whether it's spotify apple music or wherever you might find your podcast you can follow us on twitter at maize you can follow me on twitter at jstorm 303 and at um andrew b i actually knew it but i wanted to hear your dulcet sweet tones one last time before i logged off <laughs>
1: appreciate that sir <laughs>
0: I'm Jared, that's Andy, this is Out of the Blue. We'd like to remind you that wherever you go,
1: go blue.